coming at you from the One Stone Recording and Mastering Studio in New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is The Weigh-In with your host, Matt Ward. Welcome to The Weigh-In. My name is Matt Ward, and I'm a boxing writer and historian from the greater Philadelphia area. Every two weeks, I will introduce you to people from the world of boxing, both past and present. This episode of The Weigh-In features my interview with Randy Newman, a former heavyweight boxing contender who fought professionally from 1969 to 1977. Randy captured the USA-New Jersey state heavyweight title on December 9, 1971 with a victory over Chuck Wepner. Randy worked as a professional boxing referee from 1983 to 2014 and refereed hundreds of matches featuring boxing legends such as Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Vladimir Klitschko, and many others. Randy currently serves as a certified financial planner at Randy Newman Wealth Management in Upper Saddle River, New Jersey. Without further delay, here is The Weigh-In with Randy Newman. Please introduce yourself to my listeners. Hi, I'm Randy Newman. I'm, uh, I'm an old fighter. <laughs> when did you become interested in the sport of boxing? Um, I always had an interest in it because the guy in that wall was Gus Lesnovich. Um, Gus was from my hometown, Cliffside Park. He was a light heavyweight champion of the world after World War II. Uh, we were both lifeguards of Palisades Amusement Park. He was there in the 30s, I was there in the 60s. I grew up with his children. His manager became my manager. Uh, so I was, I was always aware of boxing, but, but I never did it until I started college in New York City um, at the New York Institute of Technology. And, and down the street, the college was on 70th Street, and the West Side Y was on 64th. So I walked down there, so I was an athlete in high school. Um, and I played basketball and jumped on the trampoline. Then I saw this room where these old guys, they were in their 40s. They were all former amateurs. And, and they would just work to the body and hit the bags and jump rope. So I went in there one day and um, I said, can I play? They said, sure. Well, I was a big, strong kid, and uh, they kind of threw me out after a while. <laughs> so I told my uncle I was interested in boxing, and he introduced me to Joe Vella, who was Gus's manager. So Joe Vella had me meet him up at Gleason's Gym in the scenic South Bronx, my favorite office on earth. <laughs> and um, I ran out the first day, because... What they did at Gleason's wasn't what we did at the Y. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> but I came back, and um, they brought me along very slowly. And then, you know, that's how you have to do it. But you can't put a kid in with a contender. You know, he'll lose interest pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I had uh, good trainers, Patty Calavito and then Freddie Brown. Um, and learned how to fight and. Um, Started boxing the amateurs a few months later. Who were some of the uh, fighters at Gleason's that you would spar with and train with? Um, James J. Woody, who was the world's greatest gym fighter, most great in the ring. Wendell Newton, who was a six foot five Bahamian, who was like a big brother to me. He was the first guy I boxed with. And um, 
they put the gloves and the headgear on, and you know I was waiting, nervous as hell. And uh, our turn came. He goes, "All right, let's go, Chief." So <laughs> he did a babysitting job, and he basically at one point he was holding my head, and I was throwing these stupid punches. <laughs> And he just taught me how difficult it was. But he never beat me up or took advantage. Now, James J. Woody did. Woody used to kick the crap out of me. Oh. Um, that was in the Bronx. Later on, Gleason's moved down to Manhattan, a block below the garden. And um, I was pretty friendly with the New York sports writers by then. I was a, not a journeyman yet, but I was an eight, ten round fighter. And I used to kick the shit out of Woody. <laughs> and these reporters would say, Randy, you seem like a nice guy, but what, why, what, what'd you do to that guy? And I said, well, you didn't see what he used to do to me. A little payback, right? <laughs> Very cool. Between 1971 and 1974, you fought a trilogy of fights against another popular New Jersey heavyweight, Chuck Wepner, for the New Jersey heavyweight title. What was the buildup like around these fights? Oh, it was huge. It was Hudson County versus Bergen County, which is a you know, real rivalry. I mean, I got phone calls from some of them late at night um, you know, prior to these fights to tell me uh, it wasn't in my best interest to come to Hudson County. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, we, we had good crowds. We had good fights. And uh, we've become good friends over the years. Who was the crowd more for? Uh, during the fights, you were Chuck. Uh, well, for him because I, I was the kid. He was the you know the old contender. Um, and, and the first fight we had was in uh, North Bergen, which was Hudson County. Mm-hmm. And it was a small house that had maybe twelve, fifteen hundred people in there. Um, and I would say that was about half and half because it's not too far from Bergen County, but. The second fight was in Jersey City, and uh, yeah, that was clearly uh, Chuck's uh, Ballywick. <laughs> that was more his turf. <laughs> you fought an impressive 38 professional fights as a heavyweight and squared off against tough opponents such as Jimmy Young, Chuck Wepner, and Jerry Corey. Looking back on your career, who do you consider the toughest opponent you faced? Um, Corey or Bobbick. Uh, I was giving Quarry a boxing lesson and um, Gil Clancy was in his corner and he said you better do something with this kid so he hit me in the balls and uh, as the uh, and the fight was stopped because of a cut but that low blow just you know, took the steam out of me mm-hmm. so as the doctor was stitching me up after the fight which I've had many stitches he put 300 stitches in Gus Lutzimich's head. He only put 40 in mine. <laughs> um, so as he's stitching me up, he says, you were in good shape tonight, weren't you? I said, yeah. Why do you ask? He said, well, when he hit you in the balls, you didn't vomit. Oh. <laughs> That's a doctor's view of things. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting perspective, right? <laughs> You received a degree in business from Fairleigh Dickinson University in 1975. Please tell my listeners what it was like for you to box professionally while pursuing your degree. Um, Well, I I started college in boxing in 1967. 
And it took me to 1975 to get a degree, but I had 38 fights in between. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time, um, I guess things were, I was on a dean's list most of the time, but had a couple of rocky times, either between boxing and school or school and boxing. And uh, I was talking to my buddies, my fellow heavyweights at Gleason's, and I was thinking of, you know, quitting school. Well, they formed a committee and convinced <laughs> me it was not in my best interest to quit school. So I have to thank my, my brothers up there. Cool. Very cool. What made you decide to become a boxing referee after retiring from boxing? Well, I had a real bad taste in my mouth uh, because I um, got robbed a few times, one of them with Chuck Wepner. Um, the second fight, um, Paul Venti was the referee, and uh, he told me many years later that Big Al, uh, Braverman, Wepner's manager, came to him some money to fix the fight. Mm -hmm. So in those days, the referee in Jersey was the sole arbiter. Oh. There were no judges. Oh. Like England is still. And um, so Paul told me, he says, yeah, Al came in with a deal, but I said, no, no thanks. And then later on, when I was refereeing, uh, one night, late night in, in Atlantic City, Big Al, who's a big, burly guy, um, motioned my wife to come over and talk to him. She says she was afraid of him. He was a scary guy. Mm -hmm. I said, no, he's not going to do anything. Go over and talk to him. So she sheepishly goes over and he says, he's eating and talking. He says, hey, honey, you know something? My guy never beat your guy. I had friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, he got to the referee, uh, which was a lot easier than getting three, have to bribe three judges. Right, right. So, where was I? That you, you, you got me off on a tangent. Oh, <laughs> um, just what made you decide to become become a oh, referee okay. ultimately? So, yeah. <laughs> so, when I finished fighting, yeah, there was a lot of things I didn't like about boxing. Yeah, corruption's not great, uh, but but I love the sport. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a flesh peddler. I, I didn't want to be a trainer. So I said, you know, refereeing looks like fun. So being really a New York fighter, I'm from Jersey, but I fought 13 times in the garden. And um, so I called John Condon, who was the president then. I said, John, I want to be a referee. Okay, no problem. He calls the head of the New York Boxing Commission, who was a retired detective. So I said, yeah, sure, just tell him to come down, we'll train him. So in those days, the referees judged as well. Mm -hmm. And the referees will fight and argue we are the best judges because we're right there and blah, 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 which is a lot of crap because if you get in a scrap with the corner, how are you going to be a, a fair judge? Right. Uh, if, if one guy keeps, you know, hitting the guy in the balls and thumbing him, and, you know, it's hard, hard to be a judge there. But in those days, the referees judged. So they started me as a judge um, to make sure I knew the red corner from the blue corner. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time, Henny Youngman was hanging around. He loved boxing. And this was at the Felt Forum in, in the garden. And that's why I'd see, every time I, I judged, I'd, I'd see Henny and we'd start talking. And started on boxing, and then he'd go into his shtick, which I loved, so I wasn't gonna criticize him. <laughs> you know, like, let me, his wife goes out to the garbage man and he says, please take my wife. <laughs> so, so I started, Judging, I guess I, I judged half a dozen cards. 
then they figured, well, he does know, you know, the blue corner from the red corner. And um, then they, they started with four-round fights and uh, just progressed over time. Cool. From the early 1980s until 2014, you refereed hundreds of professional bouts featuring boxing legends such as Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and Vladimir Klitschko. Out of these hundreds of fights that you refereed, is there a professional bout that you are particularly proud to have officiated? Yeah, well, the, um, the Tyson fight was interesting because he fought Carl the Truth Williams, who was a very good boxer, big, tall guy, strong guy. And um, Tyson had just knocked out Michael Spinks in the first round in April. I think this was 89. Um, 87 or 89. Um, so the Romans were kind of anxious to, you know, do, actually everybody thought that the Romans was thumbed down when, some, when they would kill somebody with thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I stopped the fight uh, with Williams, um, Tyson hit him with a left hook so clean. It started down here and ended here. Um, and Williams went down like a sack of potatoes. Right, right. He got up using the ropes. Now, if there were no ropes there, he would never have gotten up. So that's the first indication something wrong. Mm-hmm. The second indication something's wrong is, before. see, having been a fighter, you don't want to give a guy 20 minutes to come around. You, you want to give him eight seconds right, right. to make a decision. So you don't want to waste any time. So when a guy hits the floor, you got to clean the gloves off because it could be some rosin or some debris on there to get in the other guy's eye. So I rubbed his gloves. Then I let go of his arms, and I'm still counting. As soon as I let go of his arms, I went like this. He, he was limp. So then I just raised my hands like this. Then all of a sudden he wakes up. He starts complaining, this and that. So, you know, John Q. Public and the idiots in the press um, thought that I, I robbed the guy. Right, right. But, but they weren't there in those eight to ten seconds. So Larry Hazard was the commissioner. He said, Randy, you want to talk to the press? I said, sure. So there's um, 300 of them there in those days. And the first question was, why'd you stop the fight? Um, he said, because the man was concussed. The second question was, how do you spell that? So as you can see, I write better than they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, they just wanted Tyson to come out and knock the guy out. Now, you know, in one minute, Tyson wasn't real tired. And you really don't want a fresh, brilliant puncher Mike Tyson to have a free shot at a guy who's in a state that he, can't, he doesn't know where he is. Right, right. I mean, we have enough problems in boxing. That would have been one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I took the bullet on that one, but very happy to do it. On November 13, 2004, you refereed the WBA World Heavyweight title fight between John Ruiz and Andrew Galata at Madison Square Garden. Many boxing fans remember your interaction with Ruiz's trainer, Norman Stone. Stone was frustrated with your officiating throughout the bout and made a number of derogatory remarks to you. What ultimately caused you to order that Stone be removed from Ruiz's corner? 
I got that assignment from Ron Scott Stevens, who was a good boxing man. He used to drive a cab and uh, announce fights. I mean, boxing was his life. And he said, Randy, I'm going to give you that fight, but I'm begging you, no riots. Because when you a lot of fights, you have riots. Mm -hmm. You had it with Reddick Bow, and you had it with, I had one down in uh, um, Newark. So I said, oh, that's fine, but you got to listen to what I'm, you got to do what I tell you here. You're running the show. So I didn't care that he was cursing me and yelling and screaming. But when I brought Ruiz over to tape the glove up, because you know the string was hanging off, he did it twice. First time he did it, and I came over the second time, and he hands me the tape. Oh, yeah. You know, being a wise guy. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd be an, an, an idiot to tape the glove, because if anything happened, I mean, who's got the responsibility. Right, right. So that's when I just said to Ron Stevens, get him out of here. And I said, get somebody in here and tape that glove. So the other second runs up to the ring. I have it on video. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Cursing and yelling. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> from him, not from me. Right, right. Um, you kept your cool the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he goes past Don King and he starts bitching at King, and King just looks the other way. Yeah. And then, then he sits in the locker room, and he says, I never said nothing to that guy. And HBO had the, uh, the TV yeah, on they, him, yeah, they had the, the, the camera. Oh, you know, Randy Newman is this, he's that. And, and, and um, um, who's the announcer? It used to be a Philly uh, sports writer that came to it, Larry Merchant. Larry Merchant, yeah. He says, yeah, he was telling me to go fuck myself or something. And uh, Larry says... Well, that's a good way to get in the good side of a referee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, was, that was great commentary by Larry Merchant <laughs> <Yeah>. that night. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I found out later, or I heard later, I mean, that he was a Vietnam guy. And mm -hmm. he, he had problems. And I'm sorry for that, but you can't have this kind of behavior. But, right, yeah. right. Did you have the opportunity to speak to him after the fight? No. No. <laughs> well, you know, the, if you go on YouTube, he got knocked out a few times. Yeah. In Germany, I know one of them. I know the guy knocked him out. He's a tough guy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Did anything like this ever happen to you again as a referee? Um, well, there was a fight I did in uh, Italy. And um, I'm trying to remember the judge who remembered the story. We had a good laugh over it. Um, but there was a guy who was doing something like Stone was doing. But it was in Italian, so I, I don't know what it was saying, but it was, it was really interview, uh, interfering with the bell. So when the bell rang during one of the, he came running up, and I grabbed him by the top of his shirt and the back of his pants, and I threw him out of the ring <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> so, that, that solved that problem. Yep. <laughs> that ended that. Are you still an active referee? No, no, no. I'm... I'm uh, I'm a director of the uh, IBF, uh, and in that, I'm also the treasurer, but in, in my role as a director, I now supervise fights. Oh, okay. Which is a lot of fun. Uh, you go there and you, so I'm supervising to make sure that all the rules of the IBF are followed. Mm -hmm. Now, the local commission has power over it. You know, they run it. Right. But it's my job to make sure that, you know, they do it right. And 
this is 2017. This is my 50th year of boxing. So I got a little experience. Yes. And, um, you know, I've settled a few beefs. Um, part of the supervisory job is to pass the gloves out to the troops. Mm -hmm. Well, the fighters aren't there. The seconds are there. And they come up with all these stories and schemes and all this crap. And I don't want these gloves. I don't want those gloves. What's the matter with that glove? Oh, it's too tight in my fighter's hand. So how do you know he's not here? Right, well, right. I, I could put my hand in it. Give me the glove. So he gives me the glove. I give it 10 good heavyweight shots. <laughs> yeah, try it on now. Oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah. All I got to do is, you know, match them. Right. They're just always looking to get over on each other. Yeah. So that's just at the, it starts at the way and goes to the, the rules meeting, but there's not much they can do there. They can ask questions. Uh, but then in the fight, you know, that's when the crap really starts. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the nature of the sport. Absolutely. You made a cameo as a boxing referee in the HBO television series Boardwalk Empire. Have we seen you in any other television movies or shows? Yeah, I've done commercials over the years. I, I, uh, I just ran a, a short film that I did this morning uh, called The Wedding Bout, where the, the Jewish bride ma marries the Italian groom. Mm -hmm. and they have a fight. Max Kellerman is the, ref the announcer. Oh. And uh, he says, well, you know, this is tough because the bridal gown could be a problem. Because she's in a gown and he's in his, you know, tuxedo. And he says, you know, the, uh, she could trip over the gown. I haven't seen that too much. He says, but he also has a problem. He has the tight collar on the tuxedo. He's <laughs> just a very funny video. He's doing the boxing analysis as, yeah. as this is going on. <laughs> and the... Uh, <clears throat> In one of the scenes, the uh, the grandfather of the uh, the groom comes over and he wants to give me a bribe. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the the bride's father says, "For the amount of money I paid for this, you better have a bar mitzvah after." <laughs> very, very funny. It sounds funny. Yeah. What inspired you? It's on you? YouTube, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll have oh, to. I'll post it on the uh, on the website. I'll make sure that, that my listeners have an opportunity to check it out. Sounds funny. What inspired you to start Randy Newman Wealth Management in Upper Saddle River, New Jersey? Well, um, I, I graduated from college in 75. Uh, I quit boxing um, because boxing is like a roller coaster. It's a lot of fun going up. Mm-hmm coaster but it's not a lot being an opponent on the downside so in 1975 I wrote my swan song in the New York Times I wrote th 13 columns to them over the years about boxing and uh, they put a great title on it how a young boxer of 18 became old tired and 28 <laughs> that was and uh, I just talked about all my years of boxing um, so can't fight forever. I had a very successful lawyer named Sheldon Leibowitz, who was like a godfather to me. He always gave me great advice. Um, so when he found out I was not fighting anymore, he threw an employment party at his house. And there were these captains of industry there. One guy was the head of the Garden State National Bank, which was a 38 branch bank in North Jersey. Oh. And um, 
after the party, he called me up. I went to meet with him, and he said, uh, how'd you like to be the branch manager in your hometown of Cliffside Park? Hmm. Sure. So I started in banking as a branch manager. Oh, uh, gotcha. I worked as a teller to learn to learn that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I worked on the floor. And then when they put me in the branch, they had kind of a watchdog with me because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I learned quickly. And um, while I was there, deposits went way up, defaults went way down because banking in those days was not, you know, all spreadsheets and all that business. It's looking at somebody in the eye and says, is he going to pay me back or not? Right, right. And I knew the good guys and the bad guys. So uh, that's where I started. And then um, I got passed over for a raise in my first year. I, I was making $18,000. That was it. So I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, which I still read page cover to cover today. And it says, financial planners, what they do and what they earn. I said, ah, this is for me. So rather than being a corporate guy, I am more of an entrepreneur. Uh, so I quit the bank. I joined an insurance company who paid me a nice salary, and I joined a broker-dealer. Because in those days, the Glass-Steagall law was still around. Mm -hmm. Glass-Steagall was passed after the Great Depression because it was believed in Washington that the banks and the insurance companies and the brokerage colluded to create the crash, which is a lot of crap. Mm -hmm. Um, But the guy who got rid of Glass-Steagall, Sandy, uh, Sandy's name, uh, we ran Citibank. Um, San- Sandy Weiler? Well, Sandy Weil. <laughs> he's the one who said, after he got Glass-Steagall gone, he's the one who said, well, maybe we need it again. <laughs> so what I did is I went to, I, I, joined, I joined the bank, stayed there a year and a half, left the bank, joined an insurance company and a broker-dealer, which were two different entities in those days. Right, right. Now they're all together. But mm-hmm. in those days, there were two. So I, I'd go to the, you know, the life insurance office, and um, they say, Randy, all those brokers, they're all thieves, they're all commission guys. Oh, they're terrible. Okay, thank you. It's kind of like going to a corner and hearing the, out the other corner. <laughs> so then I go to the, the, the brokerage house, and they say, oh, those insurance guys, they're all bandits. So <laughs> I carry the message back and forth. So I learned his business from the bottom up. Um, and then uh, worked with those two companies for several years. And then I said, eh, you know, no, I'm an independent guy. So uh, left those companies and started Randy Newman. was Randy Newman and Associates now. Now it's Randy Newman Wealth Management. Cool. What types of services do you offer your clients? Well, at the center of it is financial planning, mm-hmm. which is cash flow. Now, a lot of people in my business don't bother with it because it's a lot of work. Um, but cash flow is kind of like the heart and circulatory system of the financial body. Mm-hmm. If you go to a doctor and they don't begin your workup with, you know, heart rate and blood pressure, uh, maybe you want to get another doctor. So in this business, when you learn somebody's cash flow, what do you earn, what do you spend, when do you want to retire, how much do you have invested, 
and then we can just calculate, well, if you keep earning and spending as you are now and investing as you are now, you'll have sufficient assets when you retire at, let's say, age 65, or you won't. So, you know, we give people compasses and um, just redo it every year. And um, it's, a, it's a valuable service. Yes, very much so. Is there anything else you would like to say to my listeners? Um, well, as I send out on the uh, internet and in, in, in little, any punchline I can, keep punching. That's <laughs> very the well boxer's mantra. They can do it when they're unconscious. <laughs> very well said, Randy. Thank you very much for sitting down with me this afternoon. Thank you, sir. You can learn more about Randy Newman via a series of links to websites such as boxrec.com in the notes section of this episode. As we discussed earlier in the episode and in the interview, Randy currently serves as a certified financial planner at Randy Newman Wealth Management in Upper Saddle River, New Jersey. And now, our executive producer, Peter Lloyd, will tell you more about our next episode. Thank you, MW. The next episode of The Weigh-In will air on March 15th and will feature Matt's interview with professional ring announcer, voice talent, and writer Steve Peacock. For the past three years, Steve has been the announcer for Global Proving Ground and Fight Club Champion, and during that time, he has also announced several USA boxing-sanctioned tournaments and combat sports events for promoters including Dead Serious MMA, Cage Fury Fighting Championships, and World Class Kickboxing Championships. You can listen to the Weigh In podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. If you listen to the show on iTunes, please leave us a rating. This will help other listeners find the show. If you would like to contact the Weigh In staff, you can reach us through social media and email. Our contact information is posted in the notes section of the episode. We love to hear from our listeners. That does it for the third episode of the Weigh In. The Weigh-In is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. Go to onestonerecording.com slash theweigh-in and receive 10% off your first session. Special thanks to Randy Newman and you, the listeners, for being a part of our third episode. You can now be like our friend, J.P. Favera, and support the Way In Podcast on Patreon. You can support us for as little as $1 a month. Your pledge will go directly towards travel expenses and studio fees. Thank you again, JP, for being a part of our team. I hope the weather in Florida is great. Until next time, I'm Matt Ward, and this is The Way In. Hey, it's Peter, the executive producer of The Weigh-In. As many of you know, MW and I are both history geeks. When we're not talking about boxing or planning the next episode of The Weigh-In, we enjoy getting our New Jersey history fix at Garden State Legacy. This quarterly online magazine gives readers an in-depth look at the people, places, and events that help to shape our home state's rich history. You can check out Garden State Legacy at GardenStateLegacy.com.